May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. This, this gospel reading contains some truths that I think we need to hear today, especially in light of the news that I wrote to you about in my email. Uh, for some of us, disappointing news that the, the property deal has has fallen through, the property that we have been working on for a couple of years. A lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of prayer, and, um, and here we are. It's not, it's not going to happen. Um, but as I was thinking about this passage, I thought there's a couple of truths there that we need to hear uh, in light of this news. And, and one is, Jesus in this passage is saying, God the Father seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus is getting in a dialogue with the Samaritan woman, and the Samaritans believe that the true worship of God happened on Mount Gerizim, um, which is in modern Palestine by the city of Nablus. And they said that's where the true worship of God happened. And the, Dru- the Jews, of course, said, no, it happens in Jerusalem. That's where the temple is to be. And, uh, and Jesus says it doesn't matter where you are, Gerizim or Jerusalem, Shetler Road or Clayton Road. The Father is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That call does not change. And then the other lesson here is that there is a world of thirsty people, spiritually thirsty people that we're called to reach. And the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. So our call is to reach those spiritually thirsty people with the message of God's love and salvation and to pray that God would send raise up laborers in this harvest field and help us here with the mission. So that doesn't change as well. So the main things don't change. And we continue to trust God with the future of this church. Amen? Well, that's not what I really was going to preach on. but uh, So I'm going to go ahead with what I was going to say, but maybe I'll be a little bit briefer. I do want us to consider just two main things in this passage, this gospel reading, who this woman was, and what Jesus is offering her, who she was and what Jesus is offering her. And it's quite remarkable when you think about who this lady is, that Jesus broke through all the cultural barriers practically of his day to offer her salvation. Um, In our context, it's not shocking to see, in our cultural context, it's not shocking to find Jesus in a lengthy conversation with a woman. This was a lengthy conversation. This was a lengthy reading. Good job, Sarah. (laughs) Good stamina. And I think it's the longest recorded conversation in the Gospel of John, a one-on-one conversation with Jesus. And it's with a woman. And in Jesus' day, that, that was quite shocking. An ordinary rabbi would not do that in public. He would not be caught speaking with a woman. In fact, there was a rabbinical saying A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even his own wife, and especially not with another woman on account of what men may think. But Jesus didn't care what men thought, what other people thought. He cared about this lady. He cared about her spiritual condition. And he cared about doing, he talks about here, my food is to do the Father's will. He cared about doing the Father's will, which was to offer this living water to the lady in front of him. 
So um, she was a woman, and he broke through that barrier, the gender barrier, risking, um, risking scandal, but he cared about her. And on top of that, of course, she's a Samaritan, and there was a history of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, the Jews looked at the Samaritans as an impure race because the Samaritan race came about when uh, Jews and foreigners began to marry. And so they looked at Samaritans as sort of half-breeds, impure, racially speaking. And the Samaritans had a different uh, kind of religion. They had a different religious view than the Jews. They were close to the Jews. How many of you know that family fights can be the worst kind of fights? There was a family resemblance here between Samaritans and Jews, but they fought over things. They fought over things like, what is the true scripture? The Samaritans limited the Bible to the first five books of the Old Testament. The Jews accepted the entire canon that we accept today, the prophets and the writings and the poetry and the wisdom. But the Samaritans just regulated the Bible. They just said the Bible is, is the, the, the God's word is just the first five books, the Torah, the Pentateuch. And then, as I mentioned earlier, they said the true worship of God is not in Jerusalem. Not, the temple shouldn't be in Jerusalem, but should be on Mount Gerizim. So there was this tension between religious tension, racial tension between Jews and the Samaritans. In fact, the Samaritans did something quite provocative when Jesus was just a little boy. According to Josephus, the first century historian, he writes about this. And he says that, uh, at one time, between 6 and 9 A.D., the Samaritans went into the temple in Jerusalem and they desecrated it and they scattered human bones in the temple precincts. So I think Jesus might have known about that because it happened when he was a little boy. So there was this animosity between Jews and Samaritans. And on top of all this, this woman is living a sinful lifestyle. And Jesus uncovers that. Jesus uncovers her sinful lifestyle, not to humiliate her, but to uncover her need for the salvation that he's offering, to receive this living water, to receive a fresh start. And Jesus says to her, I want you to go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. You're right in saying that. You've had five husbands. Now, we don't know the circumstances of their past. Maybe all five of the husbands divorced her and left her. Maybe some of them died. But we do know in the present, she was living an immoral lifestyle because he said, the one you're with now is not your husband. And she recognizes at that point that this is no ordinary guy in the noonday sun looking for a drink of water. She says, you, you're a prophet. I perceive that you're a prophet. So her understanding of Jesus is beginning to increase as this goes forward, this conversation proceeds. But I love that Jesus here is breaking through all kinds of cultural and religious barriers to offer this woman salvation because she is the quintessential religious outsider in first century Jewish eyes. It doesn't get more outside than, than the Samaritan woman. And it's strategic how John places this right after John chapter 3, where Jesus had the conversation with the quintessential religious insider, Nicodemus. And in the course of that conversation, he tells Nicodemus, the religious insider, the Pharisee, you need to be born again. It's not good enough just to be associated with religion or to even be a religious teacher. Something has to happen in your heart. God's life has to come into you and, and regenerate you. You need to be born again, Nicodemus. And then um, jo 
Jesus says in John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. So that's John 3, and now we get to John 4, and it tests this idea of whosoever. Does whosoever include people like her? The Samaritan woman who's living this, this questionably moral moral life? It does. That's the answer. It does include God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for people like her. I read a quote this week that I think is appropriate. It's from Brennan Manning. He says this, God loves us as we are, not as we should be, because no one is as they should be. God loves us as we are, not as we should be, because no one is as they should be. God loves this woman as she is. Now, he doesn't want to leave her as she is. See, God loves us as we are, but then he calls us, yes, he calls us to a life of repentance and holiness. Jesus said, I've come to call sinners to repentance. So he loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us as we are. But we're never going to be as we should be. We're never going to achieve moral perfection. And so God is offering, through Christ, the salvation to this woman. That's who she is, an outsider. And I wonder if there's somebody in our life that we can think about who we're tempted to think of as an outsider. We look at them and we say, that person's probably too far gone, almost too far gone for God to reach. I can't imagine that person coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's somebody you know who's a strident atheist who likes to make a point of demeaning people of faith. Maybe it's a family member who's living a a reckless life, a morally reckless life. Maybe it's a friend or a neighbor who's just seemed so secure because of their wealth and their success, ensconced in this success and wealth that you can't imagine them ever getting to the place where they cry out and say, God, I need you. And it's easy to look at people like this, and to kind of give up and to stop praying. But the point of this story, part of the point, the application of this story, is to remind us that this message of God's love in Jesus Christ, the salvation that Christ offers, is for all people. And so we ought not to give up praying. And we shouldn't give up looking for those moments where we can have a conversation with somebody like this to point them to the living water that's found in Jesus Christ. So that's who this woman is, an outsider, and yet Jesus just burst through all these barriers. I love this about Christ. And and offers her living water. Now, what exactly does he mean by living water? What is he offering her? Well, I think he's offering her to know the life and love of God in the deepest place of her life, in the deepest place of her soul, in her heart. He's offering her a satisfaction of the soul that can only be found in him. He knows that she has a deep thirst and only he can really satisfy what she's thirsty for, which is to know the true God and to be filled with the life and love of God and to become a worshiper of this true God. And God has implanted this desire to know him, to be in right relationship with him, to worship him. God has planted this in the human heart. And so he knows this is what she needs. And he 
And he says, I have living water here that will satisfy you. And uh, I think what he's talking about precisely is the presence of the Holy Spirit, taking up residence in a person's heart and soul. And I say that because of what Jesus said in John chapter 7. So just a couple of chapters, three chapters over. Jesus, on the last day of the festival of booths, the festival of tabernacles, a great festival, he's in Jerusalem. He's standing there at the last day of the feast, the high point of the feast. And get, get this, this is a shocking thing that Jesus says. He stands up at the festival and he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Exactly what he said in John 4. And then John tells us he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When Jesus uses this term, living water, he's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart, in a person's soul. They are in in communion with the living God through the Spirit. And he uses that image of water to capture that idea. And as you notice in our epistle reading, what Paul says in Romans 5.5, he also uses the image of water to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. For the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But that image of pouring, that image of water, God wants to fill people with his life and love at the deepest place. And that's what Jesus is offering this woman. You see, Jesus knows that we cannot be satisfied by material things, by material reality. He points to the well and he says, this water you can drink and you're not going to be satisfied. You're going to be thirsty again, but I have water to give you. If you drink of this, it will be within you, a well that springs up to eternal life and you'll never be thirsty again. The material doesn't satisfy us because the finite can't satisfy an infinite longing. The temporary can't satisfy an eternal longing, and that's what we have. That's what God has implanted in our hearts. I I was reading, I read recently this best-selling book, When Breath Becomes Air. Have you heard about this book? When Breath Becomes Air, it was on the New York Times best-selling list for many weeks. Maybe it's still there. But it was written by a neurosurgeon, a brilliant neurosurgeon, young neurosurgeon at Stanford University, and it's a memoir of his life and as he's facing imminent death. Because he wrote this in the last couple of years of his life. And he was 34, 35 years old when he came down with lung cancer. And he had this bright future ahead of him as a neurosurgeon. So he wrote wrote this book, and in this book he wrestles with the deep questions of life and death. And um, he says at one point in, in the memoir, he says, When I was younger, I adopted a materialistic view of the world and of reality, that everything is just matter. You know, it just comes down to accidental atoms being arranged in an accidental way. And I adopted that worldview. But he says, as he got older, I I came to see how empty that worldview is. Because not only does it banish God, but if you say all there is is a material reality, then it banishes meaning, it banishes love, It banishes virtue. It it empties the idea of beauty, of meaning, suffering, striving, all the things that really animate us as human beings, all that is meaningless on a materialistic worldview. It doesn't satisfy us. And so Jesus says to this Samaritan woman, this water, the material, is only going to satisfy you temporarily. You'll be thirsty again. But if you come to me, 
I can give you satisfaction for your soul. And he's talking about this communion with the living God that happens in the heart of a person who's united to Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad, those of you who know what I'm talking about, that Jesus freely offers this living water, this deep satisfaction that the world can't give? You see, what the world says is, yeah, you're dissatisfied because you finally, you haven't gotten what we're offering you. If you could only strive a little more, you'll be satisfied. So if only you get the better job, or only if you get the girl, or only if you get a little bit more money, or have a little more success, or have a little bit more position of power and influence, or if only you can have a little bit more health, better health and a longer life, then you're going to be satisfied. And so often what we find out in our life is that once we, we get the thing we've been chasing, it doesn't do the trick. It doesn't bring us that ultimate satisfaction. We need more. We want more. We're like the, uh, the story of the greyhound dogs that, you know, these greyhound dogs that chase the mechanical rabbit on the racetrack. Now, I heard that one time the mechanical rabbit broke down. They've been chasing this thing their whole life, and they finally got to it because it broke. And once they got to it, they went crazy. They didn't know what to do. <laughs> they were depressed, and they were ruined as race dogs. The thing they were chasing didn't satisfy them. Sometimes maybe we're chasing some things that we think are going to give us satisfaction, and Jesus reminds us it's in him. It's in him, a relationship with him. Not something out there, something in here which is a relationship with the living God. That's where we ought to look for lasting satisfaction and peace. And this is a thing, this is a relationship that endures for eternity. And Jesus is the one who makes it possible. Jesus is the one who makes it possible. So that's what he's offering to this woman, an outsider, a relationship with the living God, the presence of the Spirit of God at the deepest part of her interior life that will change her life. And he still offers that to people today. Now, this is not the last time that Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I'm thirsty. The last time's at the cross. And Jesus at the cross said, I thirst. And the soldiers put a sponge on the end of a stick filled with sour wine and vinegar. And it says, when he tasted it, he said, it's finished. And he gave up his spirit. You see, at the cross, Jesus voluntarily suffered and thirsted again for us so that we can have the salvation that he offered the woman at the well and the salvation that he offers to the whole world. And so, brothers and sisters, maybe today you come and you're dry and you're thirsty for more of God, for more of Christ. I just encourage you to make that a prayer as you, as you worship today and as you come to the Lord's table. Just make it a prayer. Say, Jesus, I, I'm thirsty. I, I want more of you. I'm dry. I'm weary. I need to be reminded of your love. And uh, he'll do that as you take the bread and drink the wine. Make that a prayer throughout your week. And let's not forget people who we think are just almost too far gone for God to reach. We can't imagine them coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's not forget that the harvest is still ripe. And he calls up, up laborers 
He calls us to pray for laborers, and he calls us to get involved in the harvest. Let's keep working and praying for people to find soul satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I do pray that, um, first of all, I, I thank you. I just give you praise that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, who reveals such incredible love and compassion. And I pray that we would have that same spirit. I pray that I would have that same spirit, that I could look at people and just, without the barriers, the cultural prejudices and all the barriers that would, would inhibit me from seeing a person as a needy person and who, who, who needs to know you, um, that you would remove those things. Help us to see people the way you do, Lord Jesus. And help us to come to you today if we're dry and weary and thirsty with some honesty in our hearts and ask that you refill us. And I pray for anybody here who maybe could say, I've been chasing the wrong things. I've been looking for deep and lasting satisfaction outside of God. I pray this would be a day of repentance and faith in you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.